Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday for you guys, chock full of all kinds of amazing dog and animal info, so you're going to want to be sure to check it out. Today on the podcast, we have some wonderful segments lined up. First segment is going to be our dog hero segment. We're going to talk about an amazing dog hero. Then we're going to have a segment on how to walk your dog 2.0. Yes, in episode two, I did how to walk your dog and we talked about that. And today we're going to maybe reiterate some of that information and also talk about things we didn't get to talk about the first time around. So going to be some good info in there. Then we're going to have our Breed of the Week, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, be sure you email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But I wanted to tell you guys a little update today. Uh, wonderful news. My wife and I actually joy up, got to welcome two new additions to the Farb Family Farm. Yeah, we got two new cats. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went down to the Humane Society of the Treasure Coast uh, and I went to meet with them and chat with them. And, you know, we're going to be doing some collaborations in the future. And I got to tour the facility, which was wonderful. And it's hard for me to go into a rescue and not walk out with something. <laughs> uh, no, no. We had actually, my wife and I, we'd been talking about it for a while that we needed to get some barn cats. We needed to get some working cats on property. Uh, we do have a beautiful large barn. It's, it's wonderful, but we've got to keep that rodent population under control. Um, so we, uh, we had been talking about it for a little while and yes, we brought home two feral cats today that are going to be working kitties on property and it's going to be great. But you know, I went over to the humane society and like I said, it was just wonderful to meet with all of them and, and get to know them a bit. And they'll be coming on the show within the next few weeks here. We're going to be talking about a myriad of different topics because they're such an amazing organization and all the different ways that they're involved, not only with animals, but the community as well. So I can't wait to share all that with you guys in the next few coming weeks here. So be sure you check that out and come back and visit uh, and check out the episodes where they'll be coming on. But like I said, I just wanted to say thank you to them. Got our two new additions. Yes, the two new cats, you know, the first one, the male had a name. His name was Jekyll. And then the female cat didn't have a name yet. And so I know Jekyll and Hyde, right? Hyde is a male, <laughs> same person, sure. Uh, but I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't let the female cat not be named Hyde. <laughs> I couldn't. It's Jekyll and Hyde. It has to be. Uh, but my wife says, you know, I think I'm going to call her Hydra. <laughs> so Jekyll and Hyde, Jekyll and Hydra, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, even, you know, I will say Hyde, Hyde's Hydra's coat. It is very beautiful, almost flowy, kind of like water. So, hey, it's kind of appropriate. So, yeah, Jekyll and Hyde. I'll get some pictures up on my social media s- as soon as I can. Uh, you know, we're trying to let them acclimate. We're trying not to stress them out right now. So it could, it could be a little while before I get some good pictures up there. Uh, because again, we want to, we want to let them chill, get used to the property, get used to everything going on out here. But we're excited to share that Jekyll and Hyde have joined the family. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, within the next, I mean, I don't know exactly how long we're, we, we, we are probably actively searching now. It's been a little bit of time. I think maybe we need a little more time, um, but we'll see. We are going to be getting a new puppy. You know, my wife and I, we'd also been discussing that for quite a while, a couple months now, actually, that we had been talking about getting a new puppy. Well, last year, I think, is when the discussion actually started quite a while ago. Um, it's not a decision we take lightly, even though this is what I do for a living. 
um, you know, getting a puppy is still an undertaking. It's still a commitment. And so even us, even with what I do, we still discuss it. We still make sure we're making the right decision. It's good timing to bring a puppy in. Uh, so, you know, that'll, I'm sure be happening in the somewhat near future as well. So you can check back for updates on that too. But again, just wanted to say thank you to the Humane Society of Treasure Coast for helping us, uh, make two new great additions today, but, but let's get moving here. Let's, let's get going with the podcast. And of course, before we get into the show, I've got to give you that trivia question, right? So today's trivia question is, what dog was bred by 19th century English gamekeepers to help guard estates? Yes, what dog was bred in the 19th century by English gamekeepers to help protect and guard estates? And of course, I'll give you that answer somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our Dog Heroes segment. Now, today's segment is going to be about a dog that was an amazing hero in more ways than one. Um, we're going to go back a little bit in history. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a history buff. <laughs> I am. I like history. I really love history a lot, especially love World War II history. And the fact that I can find information about dogs and World War II and combine it and, you know, be able to share it with you all just makes me really happy. It does. I, I really enjoy it. And today's story is from World War II. And this story is about Smokey, the World War II Yorkie. Yes, a Yorkie that actually was involved with the war. Now, in February 1944, an American soldier found Smokey in an abandoned foxhole in Papua New Guinea. She was already a full-grown adult dog when they found her, and she ended up in the care of Corporal William A. Wynn of Cleveland, Ohio. For the next two years, she accompanied Wynn and would fit into his backpack, go everywhere he went. She faced the same combat conditions as he did, you know, the heat, the humidity, hiking through rough terrain, and even accompanying Wynn on combat flight missions. Being at war, Smokey didn't have access to veterinary care or even proper nutritional dog food. Wynn would just, you know, share his sea rations and the occasional can of Spam with her. But despite these conditions, she never fell ill. Smokey served in the South Pacific with the 5th Air Force, 26th Photo Reconnaissance Squadron. She was credited with and flew in 12 rescue and photo missions and received 8 battle stars. She also survived some 150 air raids on New Guinea and even rode out a typhoon while she was in Japan. Wynn also credits her with saving his life directly, warning him of incoming enemy fire that ended up killing 8 men standing next to him. Smokey also learned some amazing tricks. She would entertain the troops with special services, and she'd go to different hospitals from Australia all the way to Korea. She also helped to build an airbase. Okay, she didn't actually, like, lay any cement or anything. <laughs> no, but she did complete this incredible task. Uh, you know, that when they were, when they were building this airbase, they needed to run a telegraph wire through a 70-foot-long pipe, and the pipe was only 8 inches in diameter. Now, to make matters more complicated, soil had ended up sifting through the corrugated sections at the joints of the pipe, only allowing for four inches of clearance in some spots. So, well, got a tiny little Yorkie. Wynn tied the cable of, uh, to Smokey's collar. He went to the other side of the pipe, started calling her name, started trying to, you know, coerce her to come toward him. With a little bit of time, a few moments of uncertainty for sure, Smokey was still able to bring the cable all the way through the pipe. Now, this... this Seemingly simple thing, right? 
It actually saved around 250 crewmen from having to move around and keep operational about 40 reconnaissance planes while they would have to dig up parts of the taxiway, placing the men and planes in danger from enemy bombings. So what would have been a dangerous three-day task to complete was done in minutes by Smokey. It's incredible to really hear about what she accomplished while she was overseas at war. And an interesting fact to note is that an investigation done by Animal Planet concluded that Smokey was the very first therapy dog as she helped so many during and after combat. You know, once she returned home with Wynn, she became a national sensation. She appeared on TV shows. She was, you know, demonstrate some of her abilities or her tricks. And she was still traveling to hospitals all the while, becoming quite popular at veteran hospital, hospitals in particular. Now, on February 21st, 1957, Smokey unexpectedly passed away at around the age of 14 or so. And Smokey was buried by Wynn and his family in a World War II 30 caliber ammo box and she's buried in the rocky river reservation in lakewood ohio now on veterans day november 11 2005 a life-size bronze sculpture of Smokey sitting in a gi helmet atop a two-ton granite base was erected there it was placed in the exact same spot that Smokey was buried the monument is dedicated to Smokey the yorkie dandy doodle and all the dogs of war You know, this story just goes to prove that little dogs can kick butt too, right? And uh, we're all grateful for all the amazing work that all these dog heroes do. And even this many years later, we can still recognize and talk about it. And just want to say thank you to Smokey for being a dog hero. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Boss. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. up on Speak Dogcast, it's How to Walk Your Dog 2.0. Now in episode two, I did a segment on how to walk your dog, and obviously it's been 20 episodes since then, which is amazing. So I think it's been a little time that we need to reiterate. We need to go over some of that and maybe talk about some new things, some new aspects of the walk that maybe I didn't get to cover before. Uh, But yeah, so this is going to be How to Walk Your Dog version 2.0. So we're back at it. Uh, and I think we have to go back to basics. I think that's very important to go back to basics and have a basic understanding of what a walk is. Okay, that's where we have to start. So I actually want to start even a little bit further back with, with the first question I like to present to a lot of people. And that question is, what is a dog? Right? What is a dog? And most times, as I always say, most times it's met with a blank stare and I don't get the answer to the question, but that's all right because it makes you think about it. I want you to think about it. What is a dog? What is a dog? 
A dog is a domesticated wolf. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's a domesticated wolf. Now, I talked about uh, my other segment on history of the dog. We really dive into where dogs actually came from, the domestication process, how they got to be where they are today. And that was actually, I, mean, I thought that was a really interesting segment. So you can go back and always check that out, history of the dog. Um, but it's fascinating stuff, right? Arguably, somewhere between 30, 40,000 years, maybe even longer, we've been domesticating the dog. And the dogs were, dogs were the first domesticated animal, which is also a really cool, fun fact. And, you know, arguably our evolution, right? The evolution of human beings wouldn't be where we quite are today if it wasn't for dogs. They helped us hunt. We helped them hunt. In doing so, we were able to secure better proteins, uh, you know, better food sources. Uh, and, and it helped us. It helped us grow as, as a um, animal, right? And so that amazing relationship we have with dogs I think we have to, again, go back to those basics, go back to those roots of where a dog came from. And so dogs are domesticated wolves, and now we have to understand what is a wolf by nature. Now, wolves are pack migratory animals. They get up in the morning, they go for a walk, right? They find food, they find shelter, there's good you know, safety in numbers. And so what ends up happening is this ends up becoming a dog's, or excuse me, a wolf's job, right? Their most basic instinctual need, the most basic instinctual way to give them fulfillment is to create that job. And that's being a pack animal. So that walk, that walk is what gives them that job and gives them that fulfillment. So no matter how much we domesticate dogs, guys, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the size, the breed, anything, no matter how much we domesticate dogs in the back of their brain, they're still wolves. That's still in there. Just like human beings, we have our own instinctual fulfillments, instinctual needs uh, that will never go away, most likely. They, they won't. And dogs, every animal on this planet is going to be like that, right? They've got those instinctual needs that are built into their brain that aren't going away, and the walk is one of them. So it doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter the breed. It doesn't matter the shape. As a matter of fact, your dog's shape should be nice and thin and in shape <laughs> if you're going for proper walks because every dog needs a proper daily walk. You heard me correctly. It doesn't matter the size of the breed. I'm going to say it again. Every dog on this planet needs a proper daily walk. Okay. Now I tell my clients all the time, it, it doesn't matter if I have a puppy. It doesn't matter if I have a dog that's got some severe aggression issues. It always starts with a proper walk and there is a right and a wrong way to do the walk. And I can pretty much almost guarantee <laughs> that you're not doing the walk the right way. I'm very picky. I am. I'm very particular with my criteria of what a walk should look like, what a walk should be. And 90 something percent of people out there, you don't do it right. I'm sorry to break and burst your bubble, but it's just the truth of the matter. Okay. So you have to be doing the walk the right way. Now, any of you out there, I know at some point you've seen the 10% or less of people out there doing the proper walk. What does it look like? You know what it looks like. The dog is next to their human. They're not in front of them. They're not on a runaway leash. Uh, <laughs> they're focused in on the walk. They've got their head down. Their ears are back and relaxed. They have a nice trot going. They're paying attention to what's going on. They're not distracted by noises or other dogs. That's an engaged dog on a walk. And that's what the walk needs to look like. Again, doesn't matter the size, breed, or anything like that. That's what the walk should be looking like, okay? So you really should create a proper walk for your dog. Um, I, I can't stress it enough. It's how I start to solve any behavioral issue. Uh, you know, look, it amazes me how many trainers out there, how many people that work with dogs, 
how the walk is not an integral part of their process. I don't get that. I really don't. I don't understand how you can train a dog and not incorporate the walk as part of it. To me, the walk is everything. Without the walk, there is no training. That's just how this stuff works. Okay. Again, and the whole reason why is I'm not fighting instinct. I'm not fighting biology. I work with it. And a dog at the end of the day is a pack migratory animal and therefore they need the walk. I can't stress it enough. Okay. So a proper walk, a proper walk, a dog focused, the dog on the walk with you. That's what it's about. Okay. Now, again, you can also check out social media uh, on Instagram, speak a dog cast. I've got some pictures up there of me walking the dogs. Maybe so I think a video clip or two as well. And you can see me on a good proper pack walk and what that should look like. Okay. So you can check that out and take a look. So how do we get your dog on a proper walk? Now we got to talk about how we get there. That last time I went over everything you need on the walk. So we're going to try to cover that really quick. We're going to go over it. Okay. When you are going on a walk, it is important. Just like with anything, you have to have the proper tools. Okay. So first thing we're going to start with is that leash and collar. You all know it. I've said it multiple times on this show. You need to have a martingale collar, a martingale collar that is three fourths nylon, one fourth chain. I want you to avoid the all cloth nylons. They're not my favorite tool. It's better than using any other kind of collar, <laughs> but that martingale collar that has the one fourth chain, three fourths nylon, that's my favorite collar. I use it on my chihuahua. I use it all the way up through larger dogs. Um, so please get yourself a proper martingale collar. Then as far as the leash goes, I want you to have just a nice old, you know, regular old six foot, either, you know, nylon. Some people prefer those rope leashes. I don't really like the rope leashes. They, they create more, you know, rope burn than the nylon ones do in my opinion. And I just don't feel like I have the same amount of control and they, they, they I don't feel like it sits as nicely as my, in my hand, but that's a little bit of a teacher zone. You know, what I really care about is that it's a nice six foot leash. You can get a leather leash as long as it's not a runaway or, or a retractable, extendable leash, those things are horrible. They should be illegal. They are the worst. I had a client recently whose dog got bit in the face, but she's out on leash, proper six foot leash. She's doing nothing wrong. And unfortunately, another person comes up and goes, oh, my dog's friendly and lets him go zoop on the extendable leash. And that dog went up and gump right in the face. Extendable leashes are horrible. Get rid of them if you have them. They are the worst. This is coming from a professional. Please get rid of your extendable leashes if you couldn't tell my passion for hating them. Oh, goodness. Okay. So six foot regular leash, martingale collar. You also need to have treats and a treat pouch. It's a must, guys. No pockets. Treats in the pockets, big no-no. I don't need you fumbling with your hand trying to get... I don't care that you don't look as cool as I do with the treat pouch on. You still have to have that treat pouch on in those treats. What kind of treats? Small, meaty treats. Something your dog can eat, be gone, and we move on to the next one. I don't like crunchy treats. They make a mess. None of that. Okay, so small, meaty treats, treat pouch, uh, and leash and collar. Of course, we also want to have our poop bags. Don't be a rude neighbor. Don't leave messes in your neighbor's yard, guys. Please make sure you bring those poop bags with you. And of course, the other thing you need to bring with you that I love telling people they need to bring, your brain. Yes, please bring your brain on the walk. You need it, I promise. <laughs> There's a lot to think about and do on the walk when you first start to, to get your dog walking properly. So you need to make sure you're in a good state of mind. Don't be frustrated, don't be upset. It's not good to go out for a walk if you're not ready to, de to dedicate that to your dog, okay? So be in a good state of mind and bring your mind with you. Two very important things there, right? And one thing I don't want you to bring with you, these are the things I tell you. I mentioned a couple things I want you to bring with you. And now I'm going to mention something I don't want you to bring. If you can avoid it, 
please don't bring your phone. I don't want you to be distracted by text messages, phone calls, emails from the office. You shouldn't even be listening to my podcast on your walk, quite frankly. (laughs) I want you to listen to my podcast, but not while you're walking. I I don't want you to be distracted. That's the point, guys. Um, I said it on my last version of of the Walking Your Dog segment, and I think it's so important. I really do. You need to turn off everything when you go on the walk with your dog. You need to dedicate that time to your pup. You know what I mean? Take your focus and make it about your dog for an hour or two while you're on that walk. Turn off your cell phone. You guys, you know, come on. We're all terrible about it. I am too. Believe me, I feel I feel like I live on my phone lately and I hate it. I, You know, I really do. So when I go out on that walk, the phone isn't there. I do keep the phone in my back pocket for emergencies just in case. Knock on wood, right? I'm out with client dogs. I like to be safe. But that phone stays in my pocket. Okay. Occasionally I'll pull it out just to check the time when we're stopped for a break, something like that maybe. But no, your phone needs to be put away. You need to make sure, again, you have that time to dedicate to your dog. Look, if you can't give your dog an hour of your time on the walk, then what are you doing? What are you doing, right? If you can't give that time to your dog, maybe you shouldn't have a dog. Harsh words, but truthful words. So, Please, 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 please leave your text messages, your emails, your social media, all that stuff for after the walk, okay? Take just you and your dog on the walk. That's what you need, and they'll be more appreciative, and you might discover you might like the walk a little better when you're not as distracted, too, so uh, something to think about there. Now, let's get on the actual walk, but before we do, I want to talk about what a walk is, guys. And I know we, we honed in on it at the beginning, but to me, it's really simple. We're not, we don't have to go off on a whole thing here. Here's what the walk is. You ready for it? Focus. Focus. That's what the walk is. It's focus. And it's something time and time again my clients miss on their walk. And they go, oh, David, look, he's walking with me pretty well. I go, yeah, but where's his focus right now? He doesn't care about you at all. He's only walking there really well because you kind of made him, right? Not because you've created this little bond between you, not because you've created focus between the two of you, but because he kind of knows he has to because he's on a leash. (laughs) That's not the kind of walk I want you to go for, okay? So I really, I, I can't stress this enough. The walk is about one word, and that's focus. And for that matter, guys, that's what training is. Training comes down to one word, actually one word, control. And the way we create control is through focus. So one thing you definitely should be doing is creating focus before you ever go out on the walk, right? I don't want you to get out on the walk and then try to create focus. You know, I, I, it's, it's funny. You don't want to be, you don't want to be in the moment trying to correct behavior. You want to set your dog up before the bad behaviors come out, right? Before, if your dog pulls on the leash, then you need to create focus before you ever go out on the leash. Because the problem is if you don't have any focus on leash and you go outside and there's no focus and then you're trying to create focus, like forget it, right? It's it's, it's not gonna happen. You're kind of setting yourself up for failure. However, before my dog gets distracted when we're inside the house, if I can create some focus there, lay a foundation, give them some information to offer to teach them to focus on me, then we would walk out the door on leash guess what's going to be a lot easier to regain? Focus. (laughs) You've already given your dog that information of, hey, focus on me, you get a reward, right? And so that way, when you're outside, you can try to regain that by going, hey, remember what happens when you focus on me? And they go, oh yeah, I get a reward. I want to look at you, right? Okay. So here's how we do it. It's a simple thing, guys. It's It's simple as a sit and stay. If you're inside the house, most people work on a sit with their dog, but 
one side note of working on a sit with your dog, right? One little tiny thing that they're missing to not create focus is what most people do. They well, actually, let me rephrase. They do create focus. They just create focus on the wrong thing. Most people are really good at creating focus on their hand, on the treats, on the treat pouch. People are really good at getting their dogs to focus on those things, but not so great at getting them to focus on them. Creating eye contact, focusing on the person. Okay. So my little trick, it's it's really simplistic. It's so easy and it makes all the difference in the world. Here's my little trick. It's so simple. You're going to take a treat. Now again, keep in mind, keep in mind, here's the thing with this little trick. It starts off as what some people would consider a bribe. The thing is, there is a technical term for a bribe and it's called (laughs) technical term for a bribe. It's not really bribing if I'm not bribing. It gets a little trickier, but it's something called reinforcement sampling. And I've kind of touched on this before, but basically what we're going to do is when I have a dog who, you know, that's never worked with me, whether it be a puppy or even a little bit older, if I have a dog who's never worked with me before, then guess what? They don't know what my training expectations are. They have no clue what my expectations are of them. And I have to I have to show them that. I have to give them that. And the way we can do that a lot of times is with food. That's one of the great ways we can do it. And so what I'll do is I'll take the treat. I'll maybe wave it in front of their nose so that way they get the scent of it. And then I'll take the treat and bring it up to below my chin and hold that treat below my chin. And what will end up happening is by taking the scent and guiding it up toward my face, the dog is going to look at me. And then I can create eye contact And then I can feed them and reward that, okay? And then I'll do it again. Treat in front of the face a little bit, bring it up to my chin, create the eye contact. Maybe this time hold the eye eye contact for a few seconds, then feed them and reward it. I'm gonna do it again. Treat in front of the face a little bit, bring it up under my chin, hold it maybe for a few more seconds, and then reward it. And what you'll discover is what you're rewarding and what behavior you're strengthening is focus and focusing on you. Now, after doing that a few times, I won't wave the treat in front of their face. Instead, I'll just take the treat out and put it directly to my chin. Well, guess what? They already know what I want. They're going to make that eye contact with me again. I hold it for a few seconds. I feed it. I'm going to rinse and repeat that directly from the pouch to my chin. Hold it. Feed it. Then I'm going to eliminate holding the treat under my chin altogether. Okay. You can also, in this time, normally what I will also do while I'm doing this is I will pair right? I'll pair a kissy noise and their name as I'm waving the treat in front of their nose and bringing it to my chin, right? So buddy, buddy, bring the treat to my chin, get the eye contact feed. Okay. Buddy, buddy, wave the treat in front of their face uh, up to my chin. Okay. Then again, take it a step further. I don't put it in front of their nose. I put it to my chin, buddy, buddy, feed them. Before you know it, guys, and a couple repetitions of this, I won't even need to reach for my treat pouch anymore. All I'll need to do is just go buddy, buddy, and they'll immediately look straight up at me and make eye contact. And now I've got a behavior to feed them. What ends up happening is you're shaping this behavior into, I call your name, you turn and focus. I call your name, you turn and look at me and you get something good. Okay. That's what we're starting with. And we just shaped that behavior really quickly, really easily. Now I've given my dog information to work with before I've ever walked out the door for the walk. Before I've ever walked out the door for the walk. There you go. Um, <laughs> too many walks there. Um, no, but really, that's what you're doing. You're creating focus. You're giving them information. And now I go outside on that walk. My dog starts to get a little crazy. And I can go, hey, 
buddy, buddy. And before you know it, he turns and looks at me and goes, oh, wait, I get food if I look at you. Forget getting distracted. I want the treat. Well, look at that. We created focus before we walked out the door. And that way my dog has more information to work with. One of the biggest things I see where people set themselves up for failure is they wait for the bad moments to kind of just happen and then try to fix the behavior. You'll notice, it's funny, I do consults and I I do this almost at every consult. That's how I start my consults with just a little getting them to look at me and feeding. And then usually I'll say, okay, let's go for after a couple minutes of chatting and talking about the behavioral goals and working with the dog just in that, just like that. That's it. Inside, kissy, kissy noise, getting eye contact, feeding. Then we go outside for a walk. And more often than not, (laughs) the owners go, oh my gosh, he's never walked this well before ever. And it's all because I created focus before I walked out the door. I'm not just walking out the door and waiting for my, waiting for the client dog to see another dog and get distracted and lose its mind and not having given that dog any more information to work with. How can I expect the dog's behavior to change out on the walk if I don't give it any information to work with prior to the walk? That's such an important aspect of this, guys. Creating focus before you walk out that door. I can't stress it enough. People do not spend enough time creating focus with their animals in general, let alone before they go out for a walk. Okay. So if you're creating focus before you walk out that door, then it's going to be a lot easier once you do walk out that door. Now, Let's say you walk out the front door and one of the most common things happened. The dog starts pulling you down the driveway or pulling you down the sidewalk, right? The worst thing you can do is keep walking. If I want my dog to stop pulling on a leash, but all I do is let them keep pulling me, then guess what? You're reinforcing and strengthening that behavior by just letting them get away with it. So if I walk out that door and they're already pulling me, forget it. I'm turning around and walking right back inside. We're going to reset, regain focus, see if I can't get them to relax, and then we try it again. Walk outside that door, they start pulling, boom, we turn around, we go right back inside, regain focus, get them to relax, we try it again. That dog's going to realize, oh my gosh, every time I pull, we, I, I don't get what I want. Every time I pull, we go back inside, and that's not what I want. I want to go outside, I want to go for a walk. Well, look at that. You can punish a behavior and reward a behavior. But again, if I don't have focus from my dog, Before I go outside, how am I supposed to regain it when I walk back inside then? How am I supposed to settle them down if I don't have a way to regain focus when we walk back inside? Ah. (laughs) Okay. So it's like I I always say, anybody, anybody knows how to get a dog excited, right? Anybody can get a dog excited. That's the easy part. But if we start at excited and then we get to overexcited, Guess what we only have, the only thing I have to fall back on then is excited because that's where we started. But if I can start with a dog that's calm and focused, then I can get them excited and then we can go right back to calm and focused again. But you have to create that focus. You have to create that calmness and you have to do that before you go for a walk with your pup. Okay. So that's the easiest way to get out on a good walk is to really just not let those bad behaviors happen to begin with. Create that focus, create that calmness before you walk out the door and you'll discover what a difference it will make in your training, okay? Now, another thing with the walk is, like I said, not letting your dog pull you down the road. Let's talk about motivation for a second really quick. A little little kind of side note here. Motivationally speaking, if a dog wants to walk one direction 
and I turn around and walk the other, by definition, I'm actually punishing that behavior. And if you haven't listened to my segments on positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, punishment, I highly recommend, please go back and check that out. Really, really important stuff there. Okay. That's like the foundational building block for psychology and training your dog. So punishment is anything an animal works to avoid, guys. Punishment is anything an animal works to avoid. Uh, the the, the, the uh, example I always give is I'm driving down the street. I don't want to get a ticket, so I drive the speed limit. So therefore, the ticket is a form of punishment because I work to avoid it. It doesn't have to be anything horrible. It doesn't have to be anything that hurts. It just has to be something the animal works to avoid, okay? So if I have a dog and they want to walk one direction and I turn around and walk the other, guess what? By definition, that's punishment because the animal's working to avoid going the opposite direction it wants to go. A little tricky, <laughs> okay? But I think people don't take that into consideration enough when they're walking their dogs. If you keep walking the direction that dog, if your dog is starting to work itself up seeing another dog and all you do is keep moving that direction, you're making it worse. You're reinforcing that behavior. You're strengthening that behavior. Whereas if I see my dog starting to get worked up and I turn and walk the opposite direction, well, I just punish that behavior. Okay? Giving them the opposite of what they want. Anything an animal works to avoid, all right? I know it's a little tricky, but I just kind of want to go on that little side note there that oftentimes on a walk, I watch people make their lives worse just by moving closer to whatever their dog is reacting to. That's like the worst thing you can do. The second worst thing you can do on a walk when your dog is getting distracted, sitting still. I think that's another really common one, right? People try to put their dog in a sit, maybe wrap their arms around them and go, nope, stay, stay, trying to calm them down. It's not going to work. <laughs> well, 95% of the time, it's not going to work. Uh, and here's the thing, guys. Uh, dogs can only focus on one thing at a time. So if, you, if, if, if they're getting worked up from another dog and you stop moving, you're actually making it easier for them to hone in and focus and build and build and build and build because they have a one-track mind. So then they just sit and stare at it, right? And it just builds. But if I can keep them moving, if I can keep that focus on me, if I can keep that uh, keep them moving through, then they're less likely to hone in on that distraction, okay? Now, I teach my dog, uh, excuse me, I teach my clients these physical redirections and they're kind of hard to 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 describe without a visual. You really need a visual to understand this. But suffice to say, I, I we, we physically redirect the dog using leash work in order to regain focus. That's how we teach dogs how to walk next to us. That's how we teach dogs to stop pulling. That's how we teach dogs to stop reacting because it allows us to redirect their focus and be able to reintroduce. Redirect their focus and reintroduce. That's what our turns are utilized for. And again, I don't want to talk too deeply into that. Um, but just keeping moving on the walk when a dog tries to get honed in on something, keeping moving, keeping their focus on you can really go a long way toward redirecting overexcited behavior and those kinds of things, okay? So think about that when you're on the walk. Try to redirect their focus. If you gain focus and they look at you, we always want to reward that. Anytime a dog looks up at me while I'm on a walk, anytime, especially again, if we're new in the process, uh, training process, if they're focusing on me at all during that walk, I want to reinforce it through, through, through praise, through affection, through food, anything. I want to be reinforcing any focus I get on the walk. So just, just kind of a side note, make sure you're putting that in your brain. It's all about being able to guide and direct their focus. That's how we create a good walk with our dogs, okay? Um, but at the end of the day, you have to walk your dog. No matter the size, no matter the breed, every single dog on this planet needs a proper walk. 
Remember, guys, walks are 85% mental and only 15% physical. Getting your dog mentally engaged on that walk, giving them a mission, giving them something to do, giving them the, giving them a job, that's what makes a proper walk. None of this sniff on, sniffing on everything, peeing ever on everything, marking every five feet. That is not a proper walk, and that's not what we want to be doing. Don't forget you also need to have your proper tools. Make sure you have a martingale collar that is three-fourths nylon, one-fourth chain, and also a six-foot regular old nylon or leather leash. Those are going to be your best friends right there. You also want to make sure you bring treats and a treat pouch. Remember to bring small, meaty treats with you on those walks. Treat and treat pouch, poop bags, and of course, bring your brain along. You have to have your brain, guys. You got to be there and engage with your dog on the walk, okay? Now, as we talked about, focus, guys. It's all about focus. The walks are all about focus. You want to create focus before you go on a walk, before you walk out the door. You want to be able to utilize those treats. Remember my little trick, bringing that treat up under the chin to create eye contact and making sure you're rewarding that eye contact, strengthening that focus, strengthening that behavior. So that way, when you do get outside for the walk, you have a better chance of being able to redirect and guide their focus. Of course, we never want our dogs out in front of us, always beside or behind us, and make sure you have the ability to guide and direct their focus and control it, okay? Um, and again, if you start making the walk more about a mental exercise and less of a physical exercise, you're going to see a huge difference in their behavior. Now, as always, guys, I recommend hire a trainer, hire a professional, hire an animal behavior specialist in your area, and you guys can get on better, on a better track to walking your dog properly. If you're in the Treasure Coast, Palm Beach, North Palm Beach County area, you can always check out my website, thenatureoftraining.com. I'd be more than happy to come help you train your dog. I offer in-home training, boot camps, and more. So of course, as always, guys, check it out. Shameless plug there, thenatureoftraining.com. But don't forget some of those little tips and helpful hints. And just remember, walks are more about the mental stimulation than the physical. As I always say and repeat and repeat over again, walks are 85% mental, 15% physical. So get your dog engaged, get them focused, and you'll be on your way to a better walk. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our breed of the week. This week's breed of the week is the Dachshund. Now, the Dachshund is a member of the Hound Group. They are a scent hound, and these guys come in two different sizes. The standard size is usually about 16 to 32 pounds, and the miniature 11 pounds and under. They also come in three different coats, smooth, wire-haired, and long-haired. Brave and courageous, outgoing, and maybe just a bit full of themselves sometimes, the Dachshund is a dog that has made a big name for themselves in the dog world despite their smaller size. Now, they are very intelligent and attentive, so they can make great watchdogs too. The Dachshund was bred to be an independent hunter, and this can make them a bit hard-headed and sometimes difficult to train. Because of their tenacity for hunting, they can become a bit mischievous if left to their own devices as well and not given enough to do. They can become destructive. You know, everybody knows they like to dig holes in the backyard. So it's important to set strict training parameters from the beginning and have consistent training overall. The Dachshund is a relatively healthy breed. Kept in good health, they can live from 12 to 16 years. Now, it is important to make sure that these guys stay at a healthy weight. You know, with their elongated shape, overweight dogs can easily develop back and neck problems. So proper exercise and diet, it's a must. 
And like a lot of dogs with large drop ears, they can develop ear issues. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye. Make sure they, they stay clean and free of debris. Now, the word dachshund, it's actually a German word with dachs meaning badger and hund meaning hound. So, you know, proper German pronunciation would be dachshund, right? And what that literally means is a badger hound, a badger dog. So, of course, that means they were originally bred to hunt badgers. Now, with these long and agile bodies, they were meant to dig down into a badger den and properly dispatch of the animals. Yes, they're not just meant to corner them. They are meant to take them out. Now, also, these guys have a big bark, right? They have a large bark for being a smaller dog, and that's no accident in their breeding. The loud barks actually allows them to communicate with their owners while they're underground hunting. Yeah, and you know, badgers, they're not a small animal. These guys can, badgers weigh in from like 25 to 50 pounds. They have sharp teeth and claws. It's quite an adversary for any predator to take on. So it's amazing that the dachshunds had had so much, or have rather, <laughs> so much confidence in going in there and taking care of it. Now, they were such great hunters. They weren't just used with badgers. They were also used with foxes and even used to trail wild boar. The history of the dachshund goes back in you know, Germany some 600 years ago, but by the 1800s, the process of standardizing the breed began. The breed really took off in popularity after they became a favorite, of course, of Queen Victoria. Now, it was during this time that the breed size was reduced by about 10% as they were becoming more of a pet and less of a hunter. In the early 20th century, because, uh, because of the close association and national pride Germany had for the dachshund, during World War I, Americans took it upon themselves to call the breed Liberty Hounds due to anti-German sentiment. The dachshund made its way to America and actually in 1885, and they were first registered to the AKC the same year. In the 1950s, the dachshund grew in popularity in America and has remained one of the most popular breeds even through today. Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Natalie from Pompano Beach, Florida. Natalie says, I just got a Shih Tzu puppy and he is 12 weeks old. He has been sweet as can be and has not chewed anything but his toys. However, he does not seem to be making any progress on housebreaking. I have a puppy pad by the door, but he doesn't use it. What should I do? Well, Natalie, the first thing I'd recommend is getting rid of the puppy pad. Uh, honestly, get rid of the puppy pad. It's just not a good idea. It's going to create more confusion. Um, you know, being the fact that he hasn't even used it yet, that tells you right there. He doesn't even get he's supposed to use it. So I would get rid of the puppy pad. Um, now, if you haven't listened to my segment on uh, getting a new puppy, you can. There's some great information in there. Uh, you can check it out. We'll do segments on uh, segment on it, and we talk about housebreaking a little more in depth. Now, I'll try to go over the synopsis. Number one, you need to have a crate. That's the first thing. I'm going to do this in a nutshell. <laughs> you want to housebreak them? Got to have them crated. I don't know if you are or you aren't, but you have to if you're not. Crating at night, crating when you're not there, crating when you can't be watching your puppy, even if it's just for five minutes. If you've got to take your eyes off your puppy and there is a chance he needs to be, put him in the crate for a couple minutes. No harm in that, okay? Uh, definitely want to be using a crate when you want to get rid of the puppy pads, like I said. When you do take him outside, you want to be leashing him up, guiding and directing, and of course, 
always, always, always have a treat with you to reinforce that behavior. Them going outside, you need to have the treat with you outside, giving it to them that the second they're done peeing, okay? Really important. Don't wait to come back inside to try to reinforce that behavior. You need to reinforce it outside. So again, a crate, get rid of the puppy pads, leash them up when you go out, and make sure you're encouraging it with praise and food once he uses the bathroom outside. Now, one other quick thing I'll say, he's a 12-week-old Shih Tzu. It's a small puppy. Arguably, he's just now starting to get some actual bladder control, and you know it's tough to tough to tell exact the exact moment, right, <laughs> that a puppy's going to have bladder control. So um, it, it's important to note that it is a small puppy. You still have a small puppy. He's still only twelve weeks old. Accidents are inevitable. Now, if they're happening multiple times a day, every day, then and, and you don't see any progress. Sure, I get that. And then maybe try to take in some of those tips. Now, of course, the other thing is puppies can overdrink. Do be sure you're not letting him drink so much that he's filling his bladder to a point that there's no way he's going to be able to physically hold it ever, right? You're just kind of setting him up for failure. Now, by all means, make sure you're giving your dog enough water. Please be mindful of that. Um, but of course, you want to make sure they're not over drinking as well. Next question. This comes from Angela from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Angela says, my dog is pretty good on walks, and I take him for at least two good walks a day, but recently he got spooked by some garbage bags that were sitting on a neighbor's curb when the wind blew them. Now he's terrified to walk by the garbage on the side of the road, and the walks are not as nice as they used to be. How can I break him of this? Yeah, Angela, interestingly enough, I actually hear this pretty... I mean, not common, right? It's not like every day I get a phone call for this, uh, but it's a relatively common behavioral issue that I've, I've gone through before with the trash bags all of a sudden out of nowhere spooking a dog. Now, I can't tell you why your dog is spooked. I can't tell you why he's feeling the way he is. Um, <laughs> I'm not a dog psychic. I don't think anybody is. Uh, but <laughs> I read behavior, right? It's a matter of desensitizing. That's what it comes down to. You've got to desensitize him to the trash bags, but you don't want to like, drag him over there and, you know, scare him even more. Um, so it's taking your time, easing into it. But an important thing is you need to have treats with you. You do. Because what you want to try to do is associate that movement of the trash bag, the sound of the trash bag with food. Okay. If you can start associating food and eating with the trash bag, then there's a chance he won't be so scared. Now you can actually kind of flood him with the stimulus while he eats food, right? Flood him with the noise of the trash bag. He gets a treat. Flood him with the noise of the trash bag. He gets a treat. Now, again, a little easier said than done. I don't want you to just take him over there and start shaking it back in his face. Um, he can start with something as simple as him looking at the trash bag from 30 feet away without it even moving. If that alone is freaking him out, just getting him to sit down and be calm 30 feet away from a trash bag and taking food, that can go a long way, okay? Then the idea is you try to work it closer and closer, and like I said, desensitize him to the to the uh, stimulus of the trash bag making the noise, okay? And then we can, again, associate the food with it. So that's really how you do it. It's really a matter of desensitizing your dog to the stimulus and then associating uh, food with it or something good like that. The answer to today's trivia question what dog was bred by 19th century English gamekeepers to help guard estates? It's the Bull Mastiff. Yes, this large breed was originally bred as a cross between the English Mastiff and the now extinct Old English Bulldog to help keep estates safe. 
That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Find me on Instagram, speakadogcast, Facebook, speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week. And of course, as we talked about today, create some good focus and get out there and walk your dog. <laughs>